0: Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 438, air date March 16th, 2019.
1: Hey everyone, this is Marcelo Guadiana and this is um, our fifth podcast. Uh, on climate change, truth, freedom and health. And Dr. Shiva is joining us
0: right now. Hello everyone, this is Dr. Shiva. Today we're gonna have a very interesting discussion on climate change, truth, freedom and health. Some of you may know I've been tweeting a lot about this. And I was, um, uh, Scott Adams had me on last week and we had a very, very good discussion. So uh, I thought we'd do a podcast on that. But I think one of the things I wanna start with, Marcelo, is to sort of um, uh, set this frame framework because what's happened, I think broadly, you and I have discussed this in the world right now is we've separated people into left and right, north and south, skeptics and deniers. And the reality is issues are actually a lot more complex than that. Yeah. And both sides like to put people into one of these. And what it does, it never really lets discourse take, take place. By way of background, if anything, I'm a green activist. I'm an accomplished scientist, and I'm a fighter for freedom. You know, for, If anything, people may om- almost want to call me a social justice warrior. If you look back at my background, oh, people yeah. may think I'm a far lefty. But when I say I'm a green activist, you're looking at someone who uh, you know, grew up on a farm in deep South India. Um, many of you know my grandparents were farmers, subsistence farmers. Uh, at least 30 40% of my time, I spent... Uh, on the uh, with my grandparents in a in a village where there was no electricity, no running water. You had to go outside if you wanted to go to the bathroom. But they worked, you know, um, fourteen, fifteen hour days, and uh, they grew uh, rice, uh, cotton, uh, uh, coconuts. But on weekends, my grandmother was a healer, as I've shared with you yeah. before. So I grew up in this world, you know, in a very organic world, long before Monsanto ever came. You know, long before we even talked about local foods, this, everything was local there. And that's the environment I grew in. So uh, that world is what inspired me to want to get really, really um, to, to, to know medicine and also to understand why there was uh, caste systems, which I've talked about because we, we grew up as, quote unquote, untouchables in this Indian caste system. and But if you watch my journey, there's a clear arc of this guy who's deeply interested in nature, living pure. I grew up meditating, you know, studying with great yogis, learning yoga and meditation at a young age. It's just part of my life. Yeah, this is your meditation room, actually. Right? This is my meditation room that we're oh. in right now, and I, I meditate regularly. And uh, But, you know, my uh, when I say I'm a green activist, you know, I'm the guy who created the Clean Food Certified label. If you go to Whole Foods, there's oh, yeah. a, a label called Clean, which integrates organic food, safety you know, bioavailability, nutrient density, and non-GMO. Yeah, you'll see it in a lot of products. You'll see it on a lot of yeah. products. We, I did that as a labor of love out of our center called the International Center for Integrative Systems. The raw food movement was growing about four or five years ago. Whole Foods was getting concerned. There was no standard. So I did that, you know, for nothing. We helped build that as a standard. as a part of our nonprofit education center. You have a lot of great companies um, that have been certified, but we did that to really help go beyond organic. It's called Clean Food Certified. The other thing I've done is I spent a lot of time, again, funded our own research to do this, was to really uh, uh, get into the whole non-GMO, GMO GMO issue. You know, again, I had no horse in the race. In 2014, there was a front page article on the front page of MIT, uh, which said, buy fresh, buy GMO. This was on the MIT Technology Review. Right, so when I saw that, I thought I was, a lot of people initially thought they thought it was an ad, but it wasn't. It was making fun of the local movement, and this is in the most preeminent technology magazine, um, and it was essentially saying, "Buy fresh, buy GMOs." And as you read the article, it basically says the poor people of Africa and India are going to um, go to hell in a handbasket, and we need to give these people almost like a missionary model. We need to give them genetically engineered food. So I had just, several years before that, finished up my PhD, creating a new technology called Cytosolve. People can go to Cytosolve, solving the cell. And I was able to use this revolutionary technology that I had created to literally um, go beyond the need for animal testing. So we could model molecular pathways, understand what's going on. And I used that technology, published a series of five peer-reviewed papers. And I was able to show that there are no safety assessment standards for GMOs. That the way they do assessment is very arbitrary. And we were able to show that scientifically. In fact, we were able to show that for soy, that if you actually had done real testing, you would have found a 250% difference between um, uh, genetically engineered soy and GMO soy um, in the level of glutathione. That was never measured. So that was the second thing I did in the green world. Uh, you know, for my Fulbright, I created a whole new way to integrate Eastern and Western medicine called Systems Health. That came out of my Fulbright research. You know that I offer seminars on that to doctors, MDs, yoga people, and we really bridge East and West. Cytosol, as I mentioned, is our latest invention, which eliminates the need for animal testing, very green. Um, and more recently, I did a movie with uh, uh, the produced by Pierce Brosnan, and his wife Kelly Brosnan called Poisoning Paradise. It's really about how the agro-biotech companies on the island of Kauai, on the western part, um, essentially took advantage of the Hawaiian people and uh, used it essentially as an open field air testing for all sorts of horrible chemicals. And then obviously I, I created email which saves 1.8 million trees per day. So I think I'm pretty green, you know, so... Um, But I'm a professional scientist, you know? I get up in the morning, I do science. You know, I I probably read 50 papers every day, 50 to 100 papers, you know? In all different fields, Uh, uh, you know, my PhD is in biological engineering and systems biology. My engineering studies uh, span the fields of mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, you know, biological engineering. I understand fluid mechanics. I understand radiative physics. Um, These are, by the way, the foundations of how you understand what's occurring in the climate. Yep. Uh, there's, by the way, no field called climate science we'll talk about, it. this is a made-up field. I see. The yeah. real field is physics. Um, and then more importantly, as you know, you know, I've always fought for freedom.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, from my early days at MIT, there's me protesting to make sure more poor blacks and women and people of color and poor whites could come there. There's a picture of me burning the South African flag on the steps of MIT because I was against MIT's investments in racist South Africa. You know, I fought for food service workers to get a fair wage. On my PhD graduation, I was the only guy who held up a sign in 2007 which said, U.S. out of Iraq. (laughs) When it was not that popular to protest, that wasn't a popular thing to do. Um, I went to India on my Fulbright, and I exposed corruption in the Indian government. And uh, my life has been about fighting for freedom. And I think when you look at this climate change issue, I think it's an amazing um, opportunity to really talk about truth, freedom, and health at a very fundamental level. And, and, and uh, you know, I got very much like the GMO thing. I was sort of drawn into this because uh, people started writing to me saying, Shiva, what do you think about climate change? When was this? This was probably about about four months ago. Oh, you know? really? That, very that early, you know. But the way I work, the way, you know, you know, anyone who's passionate like I am about science, we like throw ourselves into it. And I have enough skills, you know, I still know my physics pretty well. I still know electrodynamics, I still know uh, you know, a lot of math. You know, I grew up as a kid doing math all the time. In fact, I published a theorem when I was uh, 14 years old. So you're talking to a math yeah. guy. I used to go to math olympiads. It's easy for you to recognize the bullshit in a lot of these. Exactly. So I can see the bullshit, but I can also understand the math. And that, you know, so I I thought, wow, you know, Climate change. Obviously, there's stuff going on, and I read the New Yorker article. The caps are going to, polar caps are going to, you know, start melting, and we're on the verge of disaster. Um, and then uh, people may remember several years ago, you know, when I got into the climate change thing from a higher level, understanding the 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 issue of the carbon credit tax, Al Gore. Um, I did a video showing some of this didn't make sense because a carbon credit tax was actually incentivizing China to pollute. Yeah. So we can, we're going to get into climate change, okay? But my view, when you go to the whole net, we can argue about whether it's occurring or not, and we're going to have a good discussion about that. But the reality is, I think everyone will argue we want to lower pollution.
1: Definitely,
0: The number one source of death in the world right now, 7 million people a year die of air pollution. And by the way co2 is not a pollutant okay co2 it's carbon monoxide it's lead it's sulfur dioxide it's these there's about seven or six or seven uh, glyphosate you know atrazine pesticides uh, we throw a lot of plastics into the ocean these things do harm i mean there's certainty that that harms the environment yeah I mean. when we get into the area of climate change we get into a very very in my conclusion at a minimum a squishy area um, and let, let's talk about it.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I was going to mention China, right? Because they actually do have a health problem because of their
0: pollution. Wouldn't you agree? China has a major health problem. As I spoke about in one of my videos earlier, which went viral, when, when, when Trump pulled out of the Paris Accords, I said I looked at it and it made sense because when I, I actually went and read the Paris Accords. Yeah. And it basically says that China... Uh, That was, what, two years ago? Up until 2030, China can actually pollute another 11 billion tons of carbon. They're at 11 billion. At that time, they can go to 22 billion. So I'm looking at this. How can this be anything about uh, lowering pollution? It wants China to pollute. In fact, India can pollute another 2 billion more tons. In fact, we're the ones, the U.S. was actually going down.
1: Wasn't it that you were going to get taxed? Um, if you
0: pollute a certain amount, well, what's going to happen to is no tax until 2030. Okay, until so 2030. you have an amnesty period, but at 2030, so if you look at it in that video, what I talked about is, so let's just look at it very simply. Here's a business which, I don't know, let's say they burn carbon and they polluting the atmosphere. Any business, you could look at it right here in, in Massachusetts. And I, as a consumer, go buy the products that this business makes. I pay some money and they sell me their product. That's let's say today. Fast forward to 2030 when the carbon tax kicks in. According to the Paris Accords, what will happen then? Well, there's a business that's polluting today, but in order for them to continue polluting, they're going to have to buy. um, They're going to pay a tax for their pollution. So, what's going to happen? Well, that's going to get passed on to you. So. Your pro- the price of your products is going to go up yeah. and they'll probably increase other charges property tax etc like in Massachusetts we're talking about Charlie Baker's talking about increasing the property tax um, to manage climate change but that money um, is going to go into a essentially the people own these carbon credits and the way it was teed up was it was set up so um, by the way there's a bunch of people who bought bought these carbon uh, tax credits at a lower rate okay. on, the, on the stock market. So when 2030 comes, you know it's going to explosively increase and you're going to have make trillionaires. Wow. So the idea of Al Gore, the, um, the Rio conference, um, we'll talk about this, um, was all set up to create this notion that we're going to have a global currency and we want to get everyone on it because CO2 is everywhere. That's what Al Gore was saying. Well, there's a... What's the guy's name? Maurice. His name will come to me. In fact, I have it. We can look him up. But uh, uh, this was a guy who did the oil for food. You know, when Saddam Hussein was there. Same guy. He's essentially a criminal. He's the one who set up the Rio Conference in 1992. And the Rio Conference essentially brought in two groups of people. One would be, say, the Congress of People, which were essentially celebrities, politicians you know, non-profits who many of them know very little about science and then the IPCC, the Interpanel Conference on on Climate Change, right? Right. Interpanel uh, Conference on Climate Change. So this was meant, IPCC was meant to be the scientific group. And when they got together in Rio, they actually passed some interesting decree which actually said you can't, if any evidence comes out against climate change, the the theory, you can't even uh, publish that this is what they said yes in 1990. 1992 really? now by 1999 or so what was their reasoning for saying that there is no reasoning okay. except to suppress any because they were already building this consensus that the earth is going to go to hell CO2 increases so it's very interesting to look at that the interesting thing about that is by late 90s 1999 even so initially they had a very small group of scientists and as they brought in other scientists they said something's not adding up Okay. These models aren't making sense. And so it was actually falling on its face. So the the climate change alarmism was going down. And that's when you see around, I think 2000, yeah. that's when Al Gore publishes Inconvenient Truth. Because you have to understand, Al Gore, like a politician, was trying to build his brand around something. He wrote a book called Earth in a Balance. Yeah. Where in that book he said anti-Semitism is caused by climate change. Really? Yeah, <laughs> Nazis anti-Semitism. So Gore is looking for, by the way, he essentially nearly flunked out of Harvard, his father had to help him, flunked out of Vanderbilt. You're looking at a guy, he's a pretty stupid guy, who comes from a very wealthy family. And so by the late 90s, the climate change alarmism was crashing. He then gets pushes, so when things start not working, and you'll see the cycle, they put the pedal to the metal and start pushing out Inconvenient Truth. Yeah. He makes $100 million. He buys actually a media company, which he sells to Al Jazeera. I mean, it's a pretty wild set of things that Al Gore does.
1: And that reminds me, during that time, they would push the documentary like everywhere. We would see everywhere. it in school, middle school. I would see it Yeah, it, it, the it was they massive. It
0: exactly. It was massive PR. Yeah. Um, and by the way, if you look at one of his other books on the front picture he puts a picture of the earth you know a lot of clouds going away on the inner cover of the book he's got another picture of the earth very brown with hurricanes everywhere well the hurricane near florida is going in the wrong direction okay, okay? it was photoshopped it was photoshopped. Yeah. yeah so what my my point is the level of science in this when you really get into it and again you're talking to someone who's a green activist who fought Monsanto, you know, I've supported local farmers, you know, I eat organic food. But when you start seeing this, you say, wait a minute, something's going on here. Three, four months ago, people really wanted me to start looking at the math, just, you know, because they say, hey, you're, into G- you're against GMOs, what do you think about this climate change stuff? Um, so I reached out to various people. I also was on Google, and I found out there was one other scientist at MIT, like me, who had also supported President Trump pulling out of the Paris Accords and that was a guy called Dick Lindzen okay. Professor Richard Lindzen he still teaches at MIT Professor Emeritus he just retired recently okay. but one I mean he's won every accolade in the world He's to be the head of the atmospheric group at MIT uh, Professor Emeritus so I wrote a, uh, an email to Dick Lindzen and I said Dick you know I'd like to speak to you um, I said you and I may have some commonality because I came out against the Paris Accords and and uh, after he sent that letter to Trump, the president of MIT and a bunch of other professors attacked Lindzen. I mean, this guy's an eminent... I mean, he's a giant. Yeah. You got to understand, if people don't understand something here, if Nolan Ryan were... It could take Nolan Ryan here and take a Little League baseball player here. Now, if Nolan Ryan tells you to throw a fastball like this, you listen to him. Do you listen to a Little League guy? Probably not. No. Okay? But for some reason, the sciences we don't give the respect. I mean... I mean, look. Getting into MIT is a big thing. Getting four degrees at MIT is a big thing. Getting your PhD is a big thing. Now, the way you get there is you have to solve lots of problems. Yeah. I mean, you have to work your butt off. It is these problems are difficult. Um, it's not. I mean, for some of you had problems with algebra. Take that to a much deeper level. So when you look at a guy like Lindsay, he's like a Nolan Ryan or a Hall of Famer, like a Michael Jordan. Okay. And by the uh, so that's a quality person. To, to, so to me, it's a a big deal to even be in the same room with a guy like him. So I wrote to Linsen, and, and and Dick wrote me back, and we had we started having a series of conversations. He educated me. I had to get back and understand physics. And what type of scientist is he? He's a astrophysic. <laughs> you know, he's he's in applied physics. Okay. But he really understands atmospheric physics. Okay. And the conclusion we came to as I spoke to him was that there was something seriously wrong going on. Forget climate change, in science. Yeah. And the fact is that um, I asked him right after he wrote his letter to Trump, um, what ended up happening was um, the president of MIT and a bunch of professors denounced him, attacked him. When was this? This is the the time of the Paris Accords. And I said, Dick, why do they do that? He goes, Shiva, very simple, money. Okay. So let's, that's what this is all about. So let, let's talk about the physics here, okay? okay. Um, and, you know, um, you know, in the one hour thing I did with Scott, you know, Scott's very good at trying to get things simple, you know, because he wants to try to get a message across and that's a different thing. But today we're actually going to hopefully educate you guys on what's going on. So I'm going to teach you the physics in a very simple way. It's basically an input. It's a systems problem. So you have the sun over here, and you have the earth over here. And what we're trying to understand is climate, which is how the dynamics of various variables change on the planet earth. Okay, that's what we're going to focus on. Just to keep in mind, climate is different than weather. And one of the things that's been going on in this discussion is the alarmists, as I see them over here, continually confuse, conflate climate and weather and they do it, in my conclusion they do it maliciously. Okay. Okay? When we talk about climate, we're talking about, as in physics we'd say a multi-scale, multi-spatial, multi-temporal, you know, it's a multi-scale problem. Meaning it's it's you're looking at billions of years, there's a system, and various dynamics are going on. When you look at this dynamic, you have the sun here, which is think about it as a ball of radiation and it's putting out what's called radiation um to go back to simple things if people remember if you took your old chemistry or physics class you know you had the prism roy g Biv, you know red orange yellow yeah Yeah. okay that's called a visible light spectrum yeah that's a small spectrum but there's things you know that are called at much higher frequencies called ultraviolet i mean uh, infrared, there's all different frequencies of what's called electromagnetic radiation. That's a broad thing. We see a small spectrum. Um, within that, we call that uh, the visible light spectrum, okay? So the the Sun is about 6,000 degrees and it puts out radiation in the visible uh, range. When that radiation hits Earth, and to, to keep it simple, i give you simple numbers, uh, we're measuring here energy in watts you know like you how much electricity you get watts yeah. so the amount of electricity or, or the amount of energy we get from the sun hitting us is uh, is 340 watts per square meter if you looked at a square meter of the earth's surface 340 watts go through and that's called flux how much energy per unit area okay so 340 we get that hits the earth's atmosphere um, 140 of that bounces off to keep it simple. 200 comes in. So you have a a budget of 200 that also has to get sent back out to balance everything. Well, how does that happen? Well, it's a very complex dynamics. Uh, It's actually hydrodynamics. Uh, It's radiative physics. And it's a very complex problem. And to give you the key players in that complexity is the atmosphere so if you have the actual surface of the earth you have the atmosphere which is gases which move very fast and then you have the oceans which move at a lo- lower time scale and the ocean has what's called turbulence and the atmosphere is turbulence turbulent flow is different than what's called laminar flow so if you open up your pipe of water and fl- water comes out that's called laminar flow. You can predict it. Okay, yeah. But if you boil some water, you see all the turbulence in there. It's very hard to predict. Yeah. Um, or a, a gurgling brook. Okay. So these are called, um, in fluid mechanics, if you take a fluids course, pretty tough course, um, you can take a much more advanced version of it or several uh, courses where you learn turbulent flow. Very, very complex math. So you have two turbulent turbulent fluids, the atmosphere and the oceans. These two turbulent fields work together, very complex ways to release that other 200 watts per meter back out. From the sun. Yeah, so you got 340 that came in, 140 got reflected back, the other 200 needs to get out, okay? How does that happen? Well, the simple way I can explain it is, go back to when you turn on your stove, in the morning to make some tea you you fill it with water and it boils and what do you get you get steam coming that steam is a way of releasing some of the heat yep. okay so the way that the earth does is the earth think about the surface of the earth in some ways as the your stove and in order for that other 200 to go out guess what that temperature of that stove has to be 288 degrees kelvin which is the same as 15 degrees centigrade. Okay. The global mean temperature, they call it. And this temperature has been pretty constant for a long, long time. So the sun doesn't necessarily affect the change of that
1: temperature that much?
0: Well, it's been able to, it's it's the the earth, because remember the earth has a mantle, so it takes that heat, and it has to get rid of that through infrared. So the way it does it is, it basically is boiling the water vapor, and through convection, it goes out, okay? Now this process um, uh, is governed by these two fluids, but remember the atmosphere is primarily composed of various gases. Number one being nitrogen, number two being oxygen, argon. And about, I believe, 03 or 0.03%, a little sliver of it, is what are called greenhouse gases. Methane, CO2, you know, ammonia, there's a couple of others. Why do we call these greenhouse gases? The reason we call them greenhouse gases is these molecules are able to um, emit and absorb infrared radiation, that heat that's coming off the earth. That's okay? supposed to go all the way up. Yeah, that's supposed to go all the way up. They can hold them. Yeah. Okay. Now, both scientists in this quote-unquote debate on left and right, including me and any anyone, will agree, number one, that climate is changing. No one will agree, disagree to that. Climate changes, number one. Let's get this clear. Number two, um, greenhouse gases do increase the temperature. Everyone agrees with that. Number three, everyone agrees CO2 is a greenhouse gas. And number four, people agree that human activity does create greenhouse gases. Yep. So these are all yes, 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 four yeses. But that's not what the issue is. In science, the issue is how much. Yep. So let's let's point how much is this affecting that increase in, remember, 200 watts is what we need to get out. Now, over the years, both sides, um, in the IPCC report of 2013, which is the most recent biggest report by 250 scientists, everyone agrees, or the, the broad consensus is that if you double CO2, doubling of CO2, yeah. you will increase what's called radiative forcing. To put it simply, the increased amount that CO2 will contribute to the watts will be 3.7 watts per meter squared. So you have 200 watts. Because of the increased doubling of CO2, we're going to have another 3.7 watts per meter. Okay, And if you work it through their models boom 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 you turn it through all these models and by the way there's 120 about 150 versions of these models everyone has their different models the as of today the temperature of the earth as of today should have increased by 1.5 on the low end upwards of um, 3.4 degrees okay Okay. let's happens. say the. but what is the actual temperature increase today if you go to NASA's website yeah. it's 0.8 in fact that 0.8 degree increase has stayed pretty consistent since the end of the last little ice age which ended in the 1900s okay 0.8 degrees in those couple hundred years I would say humanity's done pretty well Then what we were in the 1900s you know we've advanced we've grown etc um, so so Again, let me keep it simple. These models predict as of today, the Earth's temperature should have gone up because of that additional CO2 that humans have put out, our greenhouse gases broadly, in a range of 1.5 degrees to 3.4. But when you actually look at the temperatures, we're at 0.8. So when you bring this up to them... It's that simple. The,
1: the, the their entire model... Is,
0: is not adding is, up Is not adding up. So... So at the last IPCC conference in 2013, um, I can read this to you. The scientists of that of that last IPCC conference, and I have it right here. Let me bring it up here. Um, so remember, remember, remember what I told you happened in 2000. I mean 1999. The scientists did an about face. They said things aren't adding up. Yeah. Well, the same thing. I think it, uh, same thing occurred here in. 2013. The big IPCC conferences take place once every six years. I mean, it's a lot, 250 scientists. And look what those key points were. This is from their report. There is no evidence and no consensus to support claims of imminent climate catastrophe irreversible, excuse me, tipping points. There was indeed a 15-year hiatus in global warming from 1998 to 2013, and the climate models all failed to predict and overshot warming so bad that they had to be disregarded falsified. Do you want to read the others, Marcelo? Well, all right,
1: both the IPCC and
0: NOA You may want to read it a little bit louder. Uh, so.
1: Agree there was and is no trend trekking. of increasing severity or frequency of hurricanes or typhoons or even thunderstorms in the 20th and 21st century. Wow, this is pretty incredible stuff. Okay. The previous IPCC report in 2007 was wrong. There is no evidence or likelihood that man's release of CO2 or any other behavior is doing anything to cause more droughts. So uh, the overall global trend of recent climate change is more rain and snow and less flooding. So this is pretty much agreeing with everything you're saying. There's no
0: evidence to, to say that that
1: um yeah so so this was this
0: is not me this is a scientist and it gets even more interesting it says only 17 of the 198,000 glaciers in the world have records of 30 years or more which means glaciers basically hang out for 30 years and those that are receding were doing so since the end of the little ice age before human co2 was a factor ice sheets of both greenland and antarctic are growing and slowing the rate of sea level rise Sea level rise is today three millimeters per year, far lower than the peak of 40 millimeters per year several thousand years ago. The sun and clouds may have more effect on the climate than previously acknowledged. That last statement is the most interesting one. What this says is, so Dick Lindzen, Richard Lindzen, again, a serious guy in terms of physics, um, who understands this, he wrote a paper, I think in early 2000, Because things aren't adding up. Why aren't the models adding up? So Dick found out that he wrote a paper called The Iris Effect. Like You know how your iris opens and closes? And what he found out was his work showed that cirrus clouds, which are clouds in the upper atmosphere, they can actually thicken and thin like the canopy, okay? Uh, or, or imagine opening up an umbrella you can open it and close it okay. um, to let out heat or retain heat. So when they thin, more heat leaves when they thicken, you can keep heat like the earth has its own feedback system okay, okay? and then he wrote another paper called The Faint Sun Carl Sagan, you may know him he was an astronomer at Cornell, Carl Sagan had come up with this um, phenom- phenomenon, by the way our thing ain't working here So we're just going to do this. So so Carl Sagan came up with this very, very interesting paradox where he showed that the sun, by the way, suns are born, you know, like a sun is born, a new star is born. When they're initially born, they don't have that much heat and they get stronger and stronger and stronger and then they get weaker. But ours is a pretty relatively new sun. So about 2.5 billion years ago, the sun's radiation, it's a new sun, was 30% less than what we have today. So the sun the heat of the sun was thirty percent less.
1: Is that I've also heard the sun get closer to Earth every year, like a certain distance. Very little. Very, 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 very little.
0: But but I'm talking about the actual heat, like the furnace starting up, you know, like you start a furnace, yeah. was very, very low. Okay. Okay. Um so what was the heat of that sun? So if the heat of the sun is thirty percent less, what would the temperature of the earth be two point five billion years ago? If it was 30% less, yeah, um, it would be 30% less, right? You would think so. Guess what the temperature of the Earth was 2.5 billion years ago? Um, you would say 30% yeah, less, right? but you know what it was? It was the same as it is today. Okay. So how's that possible? So Lindzen discovered that, the and he had, had found data on this, that the clouds were much thicker, like a canopy. Okay? OK, so even though we were getting 30 percent less sun, maybe instead of 340 watts per meter, we were getting 200 watts per meter. Right. But whatever came, the earth retained that heat. It didn't let it out. I see. And so initially, when this paradox was found, people like Sagan and others um, said, oh, it must be greenhouse gases were keeping it. But there was not enough greenhouse gases. They couldn't find enough. You would have needed a thousand times more greenhouse gases. So what was it then? It was, at, it was at cirrus clouds. Oh, okay. Okay? So my point is, greenhouse gases are not the only thing that modulate the temperature retention of the earth or release. This is something that feedback piece, uh, when they calculate their temperature, right, they fudge the clouds. So if you actually add in clouds, Linzen and others proposed that the temperature would actually be much lower. Wow, so it's that simple, they just don't take into account the clouds. They don't, the cirrus clouds. Yeah. Okay. So the way they treat the clouds, I mean, Lindzen started showing me the math on this, and I have his papers that I went through and others' papers, is that they sort of average it. They treat it like a fudge factor. They don't really get into the details that the clouds themselves could be changing. Changing, yeah. Yeah. So, so think about it. If, I mean, very simply put, Plants put out CO2 and plants put out oxygen. They take CO2. Now, just to give you a broad stroke on this, billions of years ago, the CO2 levels on the planet were like 2,500 parts per million. Now everyone's concerned it's 350, 400 parts per million. They were like six times, seven times more, and everything flourished on the earth. Yeah, so that wouldn't
1: make sense for the people.
0: Exactly, but 300 million years ago, the level of CO two was about the same. Now it was what's called CO two famine. So CO two is not a pollutant. It's it's a nutrient for plants. Plants take CO two. They put out oxygen. Right? It's basic chemistry. So there is pretty much enough clarity that we the Earth has been in CO two famine. Which, and you know, below 140, 150 CO2, guess what happens? What happens 150 parts per million CO2 or less than that? Everything dies. You need CO2. And we've been, we were hovering at around 200, 400,000 years ago. Now they're concerned it's doubled to 400. But the level of CO2 we have, if you go 300 million years ago, is that low. Like the curve goes very high, comes up, comes up. And it went down for 300, 300 million years ago, then it went back up. We're at CO2 famine. Right now, it's just the natural cycle. Yeah. No, it's like, it's like one of the worst times to be for CO2. Yeah. We don't have enough. Forget us doing it. So one could argue the CO2 we're putting out is actually very beneficial. The latest NASA pictures show the greening of the Earth, in fact. All over India and China, greening is taking place. In China? Yes. Really? Yeah, because they put out a lot of CO two. The issue is not the CO two from a pollution thing; it's the other crap that's coming out, the other dumping that they're doing. You see? Okay. So, what about all this smog? Is it because of the CO two? That's because of power plants and and um, uh, you know the way that they're burning stuff. A lot of people yeah. are burning wood, yeah. like in Indian villages. Many years, people just burned, cut down trees and burn it. That's putting up all other sorts of smog and nice stuff okay. and dust. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, it's the dust which holds onto stuff. So if you look at the seven million deaths that occur every year, number one, cause air pollution, it's not CO2 is killing people. Okay, it's lead and all this other stuff. Just, so what we've done is because no one studies science anymore, or the educated people are going there don't know science, we have made CO2 the demon. And when CO2 is not the demon, if anything from a global climate perspective we're at a very where are co2 famine and the reason we've been able to survive as a human species is because we've started to grow co2 yeah okay so i hope this is being clear so the net of it is the entire uh discussion around climate alarmism is based not on evidence and we'll define what evidence is in science but on a mathematical model which is throwing in all sorts of different things into a big math equation and stating that the level of CO, doubling of CO2 will increase the watts per meter by 3.7, which then when you put it into their equation will result in an increasing of the temperature of the earth uh, to by 3.7 okay and as of today it should be 2.4 okay plus or minus one degree roughly okay 1.5 to 3.4 but we're only at 0.8 we're not even at the lower end of that okay okay but it's based on mathematical models now what is evidence in science it's going to sound a little bit weird but evidence is unambiguous unambiguous predictions so for example right now if I were to say, if I were to, you were a scientist in India, and I said, "Hey, calculate if I left a projectile left at this degree angle and it went up into the atmosphere, where would it come?" We could all use Newton's law, so we predict it perfectly. You could predict it; your model would say the same location. thats called an unambiguous prediction. That's called evidence. Well, give you an example. They have nearly 40 different models that predict how much the Arctic ice sheets will melt from 0%, which means nothing's remaining, to 100% everything's remaining. All Every model predicts every possibility. Okay, really. So each model, one model says, oh, there'll be 0% left. Another one says 100%. Another one says so there's 90%. there's no similarities between It's them. not even evidence, okay. Marcelo. I mean, I'm just talking based. When I did the GMO thing, I had to show them mathematics and then we were lucky we found a greenhouse which was growing the soy plant in the physical world and it matched with our my model which means my model was predicting reality this model is not predicting reality now what these guys say is oh well you know we forgot to includes variability and the chlorofarbons we didn't include that well the point is that they made it very squishy. So when you attack them, they can say, oh, well, we didn't include this and in this. You see what I'm saying? They made it a squishy science. And they still say, oh,
1: but the thesis is the same.
0: For y- yes, the same well, well so, so now you're getting to important points. So what they moved into is saying, yeah, our models, but this could happen. Could it not? Do you want your kids to suffer? Hey, so what they've done is they've created doubt, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. By the way, that was the way IBM used to sell computers in the old days. They said, "Hey, look, we're IBM. When you buy from us, we're going to be always there for you. We'll be always there to fix it. You don't want to buy from that small guy, do you?" So fear so they've now. So because it created fear, uncertainty and doubt, now they can sell you something else. And I'll, and you can figure out what that is. For example, if you have a car, what does everyone with a car get? Um, electric cars. No, but what what do people if you have a car, what do you get? Oh, gas. No, but what else do you get? Insurance. Exactly. If you have a home, what do you get? Insurance. If you have a, um, if you have a business, what do you get? Insurance. Business insurance. Yeah. So if you live in a, a, maybe you're in a flood area, you get flood insurance because it could happen, right? Yep. Yeah. So if you create enough uncertainty, and then the media layers it in, you've created now a situation you become a heretic if you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, these models, hey, wait a minute, Shiva, this could happen, right? So therefore, where we're headed towards is a global insurance tax for everyone, which you can call carbon tax. But basically, we're all going to almost, I don't want to say Obamacare, but we're all going to be brought in to say, "We we got to all pitch in yeah okay so this is all business
1: incentives this is all based off of profit these people want to make money
0: well what what it what yeah what it is is you're going to create an industry of fear Yeah. and it's going to say you know we're going to have to like charlie baker i said is talking about increasing property taxes oh my god you know this could flood that could flood this could flood when this kind of stuff's been going on forever you know, weather is not climate. Weather changes have always gone on. I mean, I remember going to India as a kid. I'd be walking up to my, you know, neck in water. This is the monsoons. I mean, I never, this was just normal. Oh, you get high monsoons, you get low monsoons, yeah. you know? But we have created enough uncertainty. Their models are not working. But they're saying, look, it's in that 1.5 to 3.4. It could occur, you know? That's why this IPCC report of 2013 is interesting. Now, when this report came out, these guys said, oh, shit, right? Because these are scientists. Yeah. So what they have is they have, they have initially a small group of guys who are part of the climate alarmism. But to make it legitimate, they have to bring in other scientists. Well, when the broad group of scientists come in, this is what comes out. Yeah. So then what they do is, so 2018, five year, last, two, last year, they said, oh, no, no, no. This shit is going to hit the fan. But that wasn't done by 250 people. That was done by like 20 or 30 guys. Okay? So they go into the back room and they gear up. And And if you notice, that's when the Green New Deal comes out. So whenever things start going the other way, they they. it's interesting to note that Green New Deal happens. We got to pass this. We got to stop all discussion of uh, Schumer's trying to pass a bill, um, which says that, any federal agency which wants to fund panels to have open discourse, it should not be allowed. So what is going on here? The fundamentals of what's going on here is, I can tell you, looking at this closely, you're talking to an engineer, you're talking to a guy who went to MIT, does the math, the numbers don't add up. Science, go back to the origins of the scientific method. Science is, goes like this, and this is science. You see a phenomenon in the world, you see, oh, I, I, I take a, an apple and I drop it and it falls to the ground. Newton says, wow, that's interesting. How does that occur? Or I, um, you know, I shoot a projectile and it goes in a nice arc and it lands. Wow, how does that occur, right? So we as human beings see a phenomenon that's called an observation. The next thing you do in the scientific method, you, you say, let me come up with a hypothesis, which is a guess. That's all it is. Why that's occurring. And based on that, you come up with some equation. You know, I think it's occurring like this. If I drop the app, hold the apple at this height, it'll get to the ground by this time, right? You come up with an equation. Then you take your equation and you actually go test it in the experiments. If If your equation, which is your guess, matches the reality, that means the science behind your equations is correct. If it doesn't match, as Richard Feynman, the great physicist, said, it doesn't matter how good-looking you are, you know how not good-looking you are, how well you speak, all of that doesn't matter. Your shit is not working. It doesn't work. But we as humans have um,
1: some type of, of incentive to always kind of back up our theories in a way, right? Well, no, no, no. no of, that's what's great. Science, no, no, no. Right? Great
0: science, E equals MC squared, yeah. works. F equals ma works. The reason we have an iPhone, the reason you know we have bridges, is because of Isaac Newton's equations. The reason we were able to, you know, air flight, the reason uh, we understand radio waves, yeah, is because of Maxwell's law and Faraday's. There are people who are serious scientists. Yeah. you actually look at the. This is this is this is like real science. This is truth. You look at the world. You see something, you guess, you use the um, the, uh, the language of mathematics, and then based on that, then you go test your equation. So you take a spreadsheet, you say my model predicts this based on these variables. I put these in, my model says this, and then you compare it to the actual reality. If those match, you have a law, or you your science is correct. Yeah, this is called the scientific method. Now. The scientific method, when you apply it to their mathematical model, which predicts that the Earth's temperature is supposed to go up because of a doubling of CO2, is not matching up. Game, set, match. It's not. It, what it happened be. you
1: tell someone this? That's, that's part of the climate change. Uh,
0: well, yeah. um, you know, I did not have a chance to tell anyone this until, like, because I just learned all of this. I mean, when I looked at it, I realized the whole thing's a hoax. Yeah. It really is, and I can prove it. To, I can, I, I can challenge anyone now. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, as uh, last week there was an event at Memorial Hall Library in Andover, and I'm going to use the word academic was speaking, not a scientist. Oh, he wasn't a scientist. Well, I'll tell you what oh, I mean. Okay. An academic is not a scientist. They may have a PhD, but they're basically prostitutes. Yeah. Um, and this is not my word. This is the words of other real scientists who realize okay. there's total whoredom prostitution taking place in the field of academia these this is an academic who runs some center there which is about bringing in grant money and i'll i'll get get to this okay Mm -hmm. so he's up there alarming the shit out of people so i'm sitting there by the way it was an interesting thing there's about 150 people there, all sort of everyday senior citizens a lot of people look there like elizabeth warren sorry to say yeah Um, And they're there. It it looks like they already made their mind up, convinced that climate change is... Well, climate change is occurring, but that there's cause for alarm. Like the earth is going to end if we don't do stuff. And I had seen this guy. His name is Janatos. Anthony Janatos. He runs a center at BU on YouTube. And his talk was almost like... I hate to say like the Flim Flam Man. is a movie with, I think, Steve Martin. Like a preacher. Okay, yeah. You know? He's got his you know, bright red thing, his horn rim glasses, you know, his gray hair, he's up there. I think literally about five minutes into it, he puts up a picture of SpongeBob Bob, saying the ocean, and if you read it, it says the oceans are getting more acidic. Now, and before that, he had made a comment saying that, uh, you know, this is basic chemistry. Well, I was a number one student in AP chemistry. I believe in the state of New Jersey, I won the chemistry award. Okay. For, at the state level, so I know chemistry, yeah. and I had one of the best teachers in chemistry. In fact, I believe Mr. Walker won one of the presidential awards, and he was not a um, a guy at a time in the '70s. He he taught chemistry. He also had a job as a contractor, knows a carpenter, and he's still alive. Okay, great guy. He taught me chemistry. If you if if the answer is ninety nine point nine one two, and you put ninety nine point nine one, you got ten points off. Because that's called precision of digits. You have to be correct. Serious hard ass. Yeah. So I learned chemistry. Now, one of the things in chemistry is you learn a thing called pH. Okay, pH is a measure of the alkalinity or the acidity or the neutrality of some, any like fluid, for example. Um, and you use pH stick. So 0 to 6.99999 is known as what? Acidic. 7 is known as neutral. You know, anything above 7 to 14 is known as alkaline or basic. Now, if you're given an exam and he says, and 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 something is 6 point, let's say something is 7.5, that is basic. It's not acidic. You would get an F. And any chemistry teacher would give you an F if you said, oh, that's acidic. Yeah. If you told someone that the oceans are acidic, you would get an F. Let me tell you why. If you take distilled water, which is pH neutral 7, and you drop, let's say, a certain amount of hydrochloric acid, you can take the pH from 7 to 6, okay? Yep. Hydrochloric acid is acidic. If you take that same amount of acid and you drop it into the same amount of seawater, do you know what happens? What's the pH of that seawater change to? It'll, it'll, go by, it'll go down by 0. 0.0003 because seawater knows how to buffer. It can absorb acid. Okay. The oceans have been roughly 7.5 to 8.3 pH, which is basic alkaline, for nearly ever. So it doesn't have that much of an effect. The oceans are never going to get acidic. Yeah. They're always going to be basic. Fresh water is acidic. Okay, it's in that pH range of zero to... What I'm saying is, so he's got this picture up there saying the oceans are gonna get more acidic. To the average person, Marcelo, if you didn't study science, acidic, oh my God, acid in my body, yeah. acid, like battery acid. It's a very alarming term. So I'm sitting there and I tell this guy, I said, you're lying. No, no, actually, I was very kind to him I said, what's the pH of the ocean? And, and he was stunned, I asked him that question. <laughs> Uh, And I go, go, um, you know, the oceans can never get acidic. They're always basic. So he's saying, oh, I was saying that they were going to get less basic. He starts switching it, okay? And I said, that's not what you said. I said, you use the term acidic. The oceans will never, ever get acidic. But to average people there, they think acidic, it's a bad term.
1: Yeah.
0: He was being very, very maliciously clever to these people. It's like, imagine you're going north on a highway, and it would be like you saying Shiva, you're going less south. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Now the only reason you would say that would if the word north had a bad connotation, like acidic. Okay? So I'll give you an example. No different than then. Now this guy is a, by the way, he's not an engineer, probably hasn't studied physics deeply he was a i think princeton biology guy and phd in biology life sciences right what he did in that little instance Marcelo, is the same thing that al gore did having that hurricane go in the wrong direction you see what i'm saying yeah they're getting away with just nonsense and no one's calling them out why the reason is this is a multi-billion dollar industry right now um And you just need to rewind this a little bit back to Eisenhower. Eisenhower was the one who coined the military-industrial-academic complex, right? Now, when Eisenhower coined that, he also was saying that, saying how politics and academia were getting so tight that politicians and the state could influence um, science. And he was... Now, around the 40s to the 60s, before, um, there was a period... Where military had a huge budget and they used to fund science. And they didn't care if it was for weaponry or not. So, I mean, they had a huge budget, and science was a little piece of it. So they didn't even care how much was going in, and they never even bothered the scientists. So really great science came out. But then during Vietnam War, the Mansfield Amendment gets passed. And it said that the Defense Department was not gonna fund any more pure science, unless it was for weaponry.
1: Really? That yes.
0: Yeah, like, that's Mansfield yeah. Amendment. Okay. Now this was significant because what it did was that uh, there was another organization in the government called the National Science Foundation. So you were the head of the National Science Foundation. You don't have a lot of power before because, you know, if you're a scientist at MIT, you're getting funded by the military. Not for doing military work, but for anything, you know? Yeah. But now, because that funding got cut to do basic research you become the head honcho. So all the money flows through you to do basic research. So a small organization, where before real science research was a small piece of a big organization, so they didn't care. Now, most of scientific research budget became part of the National Science Foundation. And and, and the NSF could be influenced by political agendas now. So that's what started happening. So starting around the 60s or 70s, you start now having academics rely on grants. Okay. Eisenhower said that mediocre academics needed grants. There, the, before it was like Olymp, Olympic athletes. If you were a great academic, you were given money and just do whatever the hell you want. But now what happened was because that budget, the Mansfield amendment took place, there was less funding or essentially people needed grants. Right? Competition so you could have and that's when you start seeing the decay of academia starting then meaning you had scientists and you had academics scientists tell the truth scientists question scientists repeat their experiments multiple times if they don't work they really want to get to the heart of stuff like e equals mc squared and f equals ma and e equals h nu and maxwell's laws serious scientists now you have another group of people who could say, ah, genetically engineered foods, buy first, buy GMOs, front page of MIT. How the hell did that take place? Because what's happened is you have mediocre people who can rationalize stuff. They are chasing this skirt called grants because they have seven years to get tenure and they need grant money. So now you have the former scientists, the real scientists are not scientists, but you have academics who are salespeople they're getting grants and they gotta get grants and they gotta get grants now take a place like MIT when I came there in 1981 you had about 8,000 students and about the same number of professors as you do today the same number of students but you know what is explosively grown administrators yep. the fat these people are building like vertical businesses where they bring in grant money they build layers and layers of people and the amount of salaries for those people Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in salary. Okay. So if you give $1 of grant money to MIT to do some research, guess how much actually goes to the researcher? Let's say you're the researcher doing some research on cancer at MIT. And I'm a foundation. I don't know, like the, this, this, the Home Depot Foundation. And I want to give $100 million to MIT. Guess how much actually ends up to the researcher? Um, what percentage do you think? 20%. 30%. The 70 million goes to administration. It's a money-making venture for universities. So it's almost like think about you have the peasants down on the bottom floor working away. Above them in the skyscrapers on the penthouse suite, you have administrators.
1: So they're getting money because they got the grant money for They got
0: them. the grants, they have incentives, they Let's have layers of people, it's power also, power oh. and control, okay? so what was happening was that clinton and gore this is all about control maurice strong that's a guy maurice strong was a guy who was behind the the biggest crime probably with the u.n taking oil out of iraq saying we're going to sell it to feed the, the the poor people in iraq billions got stolen billions of oil yeah okay maurice strong was behind that same guy as the one who ran the Rio summit. He's new money-making venture. Let's make CO2, you know, the Rio conference, IPCC. That's where it comes from. And then you have the Gores. You also have a varying set of confluence of events that took place. In the 80s, you had Margaret Thatcher. Uh, you know, she was with the right-wing party. She didn't like coal miners. She wanted to shut down coal. You have of Palme in Sweden. He wanted to support nuclear power. So you had a huge set of people who were against... Um, you know fossil fuels and you had Maurice Strong who sees oh CO2 is everywhere I could probably create you know a global economy and you have Al Gore wanting to make a name for himself okay so it was this confluence of things that created this thing called climate change and I put it that in double quotes so what you see happening is that the academics exist to get grants so Climate change opened up $2 billion in grant money. Guess what? There weren't enough people qualified to do climate research. Why did it open up so much money, though? Well, people said we have to fund climate research. Was it just the alarmist message of it? The alarmist message opened up a lot of money. Because remember, yeah. you can create a narrative. And guess where that money goes? It goes to foundations. You start controlling the flow. Look, imagine, Marcelo, someone said, Hey, Marcelo, I'm going to give you $2 bucks to give to other people you suddenly become a very powerful man. Let's say you're with the NSF. So all these bureaucrats who have access to streams of that money to distribute it become very powerful because yeah. they can control people. So $2 billion. So you could put bed bugs in climate change. By the way, you know, Syrian war and climate change. Um, whatever it is, add climate change to it and you're going to get funded. Yeah. That's So That's these are called impact studies. So that guy Janaito's He was was talking about impact studies. Impact studies is, oh, my God, if this happens, what would happen here? If this happens, it's all what if. So there's a lot of money for impact studies. Now, I live in this neighborhood here. There's two MIT professors and one Harvard professor. I guarantee none of them are going to. They're not even in the field of climate. Okay, they're in some other field. But I can tell you that if they're at MIT and they say anything that could be contrary to climate, they're probably going to lose their grant some other way. Because the administrators want that grant money. Exactly. Because what happened was, that's why when Linson wrote to Trump, the reason they came down on MIT gets around 20 to 40 million bucks. Okay? They're not going to get that. So what's fundamentally occurred here, the deeper issue here is climate change is really not about climate change. What it's really about is three things. One, it's about creating a narrative which cannot be backed up by what we call the scientific method. So we were all going to get taxed something. Number one. Number two, the other thing that it's creating is something even worse because there is real pollution taking place. China's allowed to pollute more. Monsanto pollutes our soil of this country, right? You have um, health issues taking place from pharmaceuticals going to the water supply. You have real certainty all of that is going to be subsumed now right all of that's going to be it has been yeah yeah, you don't hear much about it okay then the third issue that's happening this is i think the most serious issue that's why i call the truth freedom and health is you have this bigger issue of um stopping scientific discourse science moves forward by asking questions by inquiring by knowing we don't know stuff so for example this climate issue when you actually look at the data you know what's fascinating that the, the equate the temperature on the equator stayed absolutely pretty much constant for eons yeah. but what is varied is the difference of the temperature between the poles to the tropics that temperature it's called the delta t can create what are called waves okay and that delta T temperature has varied over billions of years into very particular regions, which have accounted for the major change in the global mean temperature of 15 degrees. Okay. So they're flipped out the whole thing. They're saying, oh, the global mean temperature is changing because of CO2. That's going to make the polar caps melt. It's asked backwards. The reality is that, and this is, this is some really cool stuff that we need to actually do research on the orbit of the earth around the sun creates perturbations which actually can start ice sheets forming and going away it's like a wave that creates temperature changes between the poles towards the tropics and that delta t is what changes the global mean okay Okay? they've got it all asked backwards they're saying co2 levels increasing greenhouse gases will change the global mean temperature and that global mean temperature is going to go hit the ice caps it's completely backwards they don't understand hydrodynamics they don't want to even admit that we don't even understand there's many beautiful problems we don't understand Yeah. so why aren't the other scientists
1: speaking up about this
0: why do you think i just told well, you because they're gonna it's get, money yeah it's very simple it's money i see so but the deeper issue here now we can go to the deeper layers here is what is going so? C.P. Snow. I think I mentioned to you. C.P. Snow. Um, I, when I was in ninth grade, I read a great book by written by C.P. Snow. You should, every person should read. I had a great A.P. Uh, English teacher, um, and C.P. Snow bridged both worlds. He bridged the world of the humanities. He was a very very prolific novelist, like a serious novelist, but he was also a physical chemist. Physical chemistry is a beautiful field of of chemistry. And C.P. Snow talks about how, he, how, how he'd go into a group of very, this is 60 years ago, about among very elite um, people who were supposedly super educated, college, et cetera. And he'd ask them, hey, do you know the third, law, second law of thermodynamics? And they'd be like complete silence. In fact, disdain. Why the hell are you asking that? And he'd say, wait a minute. What I just asked you in the world of humanities is saying, do you know Shakespeare? I mean, the second law of thermodynamics, everyone should know. Yeah. And then he then he goes even more simpler. He would ask him, do you know the difference between force and acceleration? And they would get even more pissed off that how dare you come here and ask us stuff like that. That's no different in the world of humanity saying, do you know how to read? So the reason what's happened is if you actually go among, let's say, a set of people graduate colleges. Yeah who are getting degrees and you ask them do you know the second law of thermodynamics do you know the difference between force and mass and acceleration these are people with a bachelor's degree I guarantee you maybe uh, one out of ten of those people would be able to answer that yeah well the way we learn
1: it we remember it for a month for our exam and then we forget that's just so
0: now you've hit the important point what education has become is pleasing the professor it's about getting grades it's about learning how to wheedle your way through the fine. a friend of mine mitch was saying when his daughter went to i think ucla he goes she didn't really learn a lot but she learned how to work the system to get her to get her student loan who to speak to here who to speak to there that's what she learned so what we're doing is we're creating people who are not actually learning math or physics they are learning how to manipulate systems how to people please and that's what their teachers are also doing. They're learning how to people please to get grants. They're never gonna rock the boat. And academia or the university system at a time was a place that you went to to rock the boat. It was a place where you could be shielded and protected from the outside wolves, and you could go do real science. So you don't have that anymore. That's what I am concerned about. I'm concerned that we're heading into the dark ages because when Schumer, can along with Markey, along with Cory Booker, put a bill up, which says that any federal agency which wants to have a open forum or discussion on climate change will not be funded because there's this is what they say there's already quote unquote scientific mm-hmm. consensus. Yeah. They're putting that's what happened to me at Andover. That's what happened there. I'm asking a simple question, and by the way. That's how science is done. People used to have vigorous debates. I mean, that was nothing. People would say, you're wrong. You're right. You know, a guy standing up there with his little freaking look telling me that the oceans are getting more acidic and that I bring that up. If he ever did that in any PhD committee at MIT or anywhere, he'd be thrown out. He wouldn't even get his PhD. And then later on saying we have definitive data to show that the earth's temperatures are going up. But they're, they're still giving talks like that at MIT, I'm sure. Exactly. So that's what is, we're heading into the dark ages. And this isn't, I mean, this is beyond the deep state. This is beyond fake news. What we have headed into now is like the Council of Trent, where they passed an edict that you will not talk about Galileo's findings. Yeah. This is dangerous because scientific inquiry, scientific questioning, is how we have everything around us. As I mentioned, that iPhone, this microphone, you know, clothes on you, your watch, um, the car, all of this came from people just shedding a lot of sweat and blood, figuring out the math, the physics, and being able to reproduce it. I mean, we can produce a computer that always works. I mean, the chip on that computer, I mean, the level of science in a computer, the physics, is extraordinary. And what, we, what we're doing now is we're creating people who are told... If it, I, I bet you, you tell a bunch of students the Earth is flat, they'd believe it. Uh-huh. Because, as long as they could get an A. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying is that's what... So you have fewer scientists. You have a majority of academics who are academic salespeople getting grants. They're producing students who do not know any science... And then you have the general public. The good news out of this is this. The ordinary person. The ordinary person, doesn't a plumber, an electrician, they don't have time to rationalize stuff. Or a business person or a person who has to produce a piece of software. It has to work or not, you're going to lose a customer. These people can rationalize stuff. They can make reality out of bullshit. But if I'm working on a piece of software and I deliver it to a customer and it doesn't work, I'm going to lose my company. I can't rationalize, stuff has to work. So, in my view, when it comes down to this, going back to my position as I'm a green activist, hey, look, on one hand, I'm thrilled that there's all this amazing, renewed passion for getting the world clean. You know, I love the passion of AOC, I love disruptors, I'm an anti-establishment guy, right? I love the disruption of Trump, he went after the elites, I love the uh, passion of AOC, but, that passion has to be matched with science yeah. and you know I am I am so concerned about this Marcelo that I'm willing to sell everything I ever own and tell these people that I we need to reopen up this scientific discussion and I'm going to create a, a site uh, this week uh, probably something called we where on that I'm going to say look this is what your model predicts this is a scientific method and this is what NASA's reporting. It's not, mat- let's track it. For- and in fact, I'll give them until 2020 when her election is coming due to, to let that temperature, even at the bottom of that scale, the 1.5, it's a 0.8. If it does, I'll give you $100 million. Then I say, let's also track CO2. Is CO2 that bad? So let's track the level of CO2 from when we were tracking it and look at the greening of the Earth because we have data. And then, if we really want to solve this, let's also look at pollution, real pollution that we know is certain. Let's track glyphosate levels, let's track atrazine levels, let's track the lead levels in the atmosphere, let's track sulfur dioxide, let's track the things that we know are killing us. My mom died of pulmonary fibrosis because she worked in a plant where there was asbestos. Let's actually track those things because we know the number one cause of death is air pollution and show how that's increasing. And why aren't we doing something about that? And the, what needs to be brought out is that the climate change issue is the, you know, it's like uh, in magic. They say, watch. It's, it's you know, they, they, they try to do a sleight of hand. While this is going on, you're getting this other stuff yeah. through. So we're talking about climate change. It's like 9-11. You create such a horrible, dangerous thing. Then we go and invade Iraq. Right? So we are creating this thing called climate change. And the alarmism around it academics are gonna people are gonna make a ton of money you're continuing to pollute the world people are continuing to die plastics get thrown in the ocean we haven't really solved that yeah that's true and we are then alarming people up particularly these young gen z and millennials they're going to do climate change protests and what's like i think that gun violence protests you want to but what's fundamentally happening in the world right now is people are taking, um, uh, basically there's a fundamental attack on free speech yeah. when it comes to scientific inquiry. And when, you do, when we do that, we're heading into I, the dark ages. And I, I don't mean this in any ways, you know, you know, fake news, deep state, you know, we talk about this stuff. They're real. Yeah. But this stuff is the reality behind that reality. And it seems like with the industry
1: growing even more, the environmental industry, more young people are gonna have these jobs. Like whether it's working with solar power, um, and they're gonna be more invested in uh, pushing this theory, right? Right.
0: Like- and uh, exactly. Look, I'll give you an example. How screwed up this is. Um, AOC's chief advisor, senior advisor, now. Was ahead of the biggest pot lobbying group. One gram of cannabis, we'll do another cannabis one, the science of it. Do you know how much one gram of cannabis costs? How many kilowatt hours to produce? Because all of it's, I mean, this is worse than factory farms. They do them in greenhouses with pumping in CO2 and lighting and this. It requires 2.08 kilowatt hours, one gram. Now, One of the most um, expensive metals from energy to produce is aluminum. You know how much energy aluminum takes to produce? 0.02 kilowatt hours. So marijuana, cannabis, takes 10 times more. The state of Seattle, just one state, is producing so much marijuana that it's going to have to create another Grand Coulee Dam. And you can't do this with solar and you can't do it with um, uh, windmills so you have to wonder what what is this green new deal really about why would this woman aoc
1: and then marky our senator right
0: yeah so think about it so when you go to the math when you do it and no one wants to do the math it's get people in on emotion and the phenomenon that we're seeing here is this is the mechanics So we had the military-industrial complex we've talked about. But in the 70s and 80s, we created something even beyond that. We created a sophistication of that. It's almost version 2.0. We layered in amazing advertising. And then with that, they created a two-pronged strategy. Always, this is a cocktail for manipulation of the masses. Always bring in a social justice issue. Some social justice issue. Mix it. With bogus academic science, and now you have a powerful weapon. So, I'll give you an example. I think we may have talked about this. Uh, Prozac sales are going down. Okay. Right. So your Prozac sales going down. Um, many years ago, my company EchoMail, we were selling to customers in the PR industry, and uh, and he, this was a senior executive. who handled crisis management. You know, when the shit hits a fan for companies. So I said, give me an example of a crisis where you were brought in. He said, oh, well, you know, there was a time when Prozac sales were going down for Eli Lilly. And I was called in to help them. I said, what'd you do? And he was just telling this matter of fact and very proud of what he did. He said, well, I went into Eli Lilly and I said, you got to change your whole brand. You shouldn't be even discussing this as, you know, your drug company. Change it to you help the world, okay? I forget what the I'm (laughs) paraphrasing it. Next thing they did was they created a couple of nonprofits. One of the ones I remember still to this day was he said they created a nonprofit for battered women, which Eli Lilly funded. And that nonprofit would take out full page ads saying, is your husband battering you? Do you know if someone's battering their wife? Make sure they're taking their Prozac and Eli Lilly sales came up so battered women who wants battered women to get beat up right take the example with GMOs poor Africans poor Indians these young kids we got to protect them we need genetically engineered foods right Um, there was a time for 50 years when academics said that tobacco smoking could heal you of asthma yeah okay that it was good for you now look at cannabis, and we'll do a different show on this, right? Oh my God, we got to stop the black incarceration rates. You know, poor blacks. And oh my God, we're denying people medicine, right? So those two mix it with science, fake science, saying this is, cures everything. It's an exit drug. And when the reality is huge correlation between cannabis violence And we're finishing up the scientific work showing definitively how the mechanistic pathways of THC, and by the way, no one talks about it, what we're dealing with today is not the cannabis that grew in the Hindu Kush mountains 5,000 years ago, okay? We're talking about 80 to 1 THC. It is just like the cigarette was a delivery mechanism for nicotine. Prior to the 1900s, I don't know if you know this, a handful, you could count the number of people that died from tobacco. It's when they started mixing the Indian and American varieties, started creating the cigarette, which was a nicotine delivery engine. And the goal was to get young people on it, cradle to grave marketing. So, what we're looking at here is the same thing. Oh my, and this is probably the biggest scam of the century. Oh my God, for your children. What do you want to leave your children? Don't you want to leave the world better than it was, okay? For your children, the poor children. Then you layer in, now, it's the scientists are being mum, Yeah. Because they're afraid of losing grants. Right? And you have mediocre scientists, you have mediocre students. And so the good, the positive thing about it is we still have ordinary people. The plumber, the, who have to rationally work. They're not buying into this.
1: Yeah, they
0: are. Ordinary people can, do not rationalize. They know something doesn't smell right. And they're not buying into it.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So in many ways the university going person is actually being manipulated. They're really the sheep in this whole thing. Yeah. You know, they're being manipulated because they've taught them how to rationalize stuff. I mean, I bet you I could go and teach a course at a university and convince them about something just so I they know if they believe me, I'll give them an A. Yeah, they're very easy to convince a lot of right. students,
1: and they'll just agree with the teacher just to get an A. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So
0: that's what has really happened. So I think you know, you know, we can keep going. I think the reason I call this truth, freedom, and health is, as I said earlier, um, I mean, it, it was a very interesting thing as I came to these conclusion of the last few days. I mean, everything's really come together. Is that I came to? The, I was trying to look at my own life. Hey, how come? I always was protesting and fighting. Why did I go to the Boston Common? Forty of us versus forty thousand people, right? Why is it that I've loved science? Completely different track. I mean, some people just protest all day, right? Yeah. Some people do science all day, and then I've always been into the green, the green stuff, and health, and system, health. and stuff. So, it's three different Shivas have been there, but the reason I've always been such a strong fighter is because. Deep in my heart, I know that if you do not have freedom to debate and to question and challenge, you can't have science. There is no science is dead. Yeah. But you need that prerequisite to question, to challenge. And from that, you get science, real science, not academic salesmanship. And from that science, you create products for the world that can heal our bodies, that can heal our communities, that can heal our organizations, that can... Um, heal businesses I mean all different things and when I look at my own life I've been a fighter I've published in the major journals of the world that most people if they publish in them they people be like oh my god you publish in Nature or Cell so it's not like simple stuff with with leading world leading researchers in the world and then I've tangibly taken that knowledge that science that I've painstakingly learned and created something like Clean Food Certified, created something like Cytosol, created something like, you know, done the research on Monsanto. This has all come from those, but it began with freedom. And then you go to science and then you get, and what we've done is we put the cart before the horse. We're saying climate change is taking place. It's done, it's a done deal. There's no science to back it up. And then you shut up the academics. I mean, think about it, there is no real health, There is no real science and there is no real freedom. That's what the climate change thing is all about. It's not even about the scam of the temperature anomaly not matching. It's something much, much deeper. And I just had that, aha, you know, uh, yesterday. Yeah. When I was sort of reflecting on my own life, reflecting on what happened at that Andover Memorial Hall library, I mean, it's just ridiculous. A woman screaming at me like a mad person. And these are adults. They are convinced that the world is coming to an end. In fact, there's a New York Times book that came out. And the first page of the book starts out was like, It's worse than you think. <laughs> so it's gonna, a lot of people are going to make a ton of money yeah, on this. Yes, like it. Yep. Okay, well, anyway, that ends this episode on climate change, truth, freedom, and health, and keep an eye out on our website. We're gonna be launching a new website called Show Me the Heat and Climate Countdown 2020, and it's gonna be my open-armed, not challenge, but invitation to look at the science, to see if things are matching, to see if CO2 is in fact a pollutant, and ask, why aren't we addressing the real pollutants that are killing people right now? And tracking that. Yep. Have an
1: have a open discourse. Have an
0: open discourse. We're going to open it up on our website. And it's going to be called, show me the heat and I'll show you the green. I'll give you 100 million in 2020 if that temperature hits the uh, yeah. lowest level. So I'm going to, and I'm doing that not as some troll or some joke. But I think we're in a very, very dangerous time. Um, from a freedom standpoint, from a science standpoint, and the products of that. Thank you.